Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am the host of the show. I am a comedian based in Chicago who survived a coma, and now I have this show asking people the questions that I could not answer from my coma experience, spiritual questions, existential questions. And I get a lot of that predilection for asking those kinds of questions from my mother, who is the guest on this, the 100th episode of the show. I'm so grateful that I've been able to put out this many episodes of the show, that you are listening to this episode, no matter how many others you've listened to. And I'm not even going to do a big reflection right now. I'm saving that for the next episode. I wanted to have my mom on this episode because she's a, a spiritual person. She reads her Bible every day. There's a lot of Bible in this episode, but there's a lot of other stuff too. And it is a long episode. So I just want you to be aware of that. I try to be mindful of your time, but hopefully in this celebratory moment, you are willing to go with me for the full ride here. I will say the last like five minutes of our conversation, I genuinely think might be the funniest thing I've ever released on the show in the Unwritten Rules segment. I won't even go beyond that in explaining. But she did ask me to read something in this portion of the show. And so I'll just I'll just read that. She texted me. She said she's been meaning to ask if I can change my response for the question at the very end. What would summarize how I want to live my life or something like that? My answer was goofy and isn't true. I do have a couple main principles by which I live my life, but I can give you one very simple one that I try very hard to live by. This is a quote. Let no corrupt communication come out of my mouth, but only those things that will edify and minister grace to another. That is a Bible verse, Ephesians 4.29. And then back to her, she says, if I can't say something nice or helpful to or about someone else, then I won't say it something of which the Holy Spirit keeps me mindful. Anyway, could you change that by recording it in your voice? So, Mom, I haven't changed it. We discussed that later in the text thread because it's incredible, the the answer she gives to that unwritten rules question. But I am also letting folks know her words here as well. I want to say that I am an independent artist and word of mouth is how my work continues to get heard and seen and experienced and grow. You can leave a review in your Apple Podcasts app. You can subscribe to the show in any app, tell a friend, or join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dave Marr. The Pigeon Level subscribers at the $15 level are John Lee, Shuba Singh, Debo, Fred Fidawa, Susie Carroll, Katie Llewellyn, and Kurt Chang. Thank you very much to them, but thank you to all the patrons, even at the $5 level, where you get all the after shows, you get the full conversations. The This episode, you're, you're getting pretty much the full conversation, though there is a little bit extra on the Patreon this week. Also, 
as part of that next episode, the the sort of reflection episode I'm doing, I would love to have other voices on there. So if you have any thoughts on the show, favorite moments, favorite episodes, things you want to say, leave me a voicemail at 313-MISSED-URA. That's 313-647-8872. Now we are ready to go into the episode. But before we do, I want to slow it down and share something. This is a piece from my second one-man show, and I call the piece Mom's Darkness. It's a performed piece in a show where I am telling the audience they have already died and entered the afterlife. And so take it with that level of relationship to literal truth. But yeah, this this is a, a piece that I recorded. It, it it is meant to be performed and experienced live, but it's about my mom and and grief, and I wanted to share it before her episode. My buddy Al Church, who has been a guest on the show, provided music. He plays the guitar under this that you are about to hear. So thank you very much to Al. Check him out. I'm I'm stammering a little bit because I want to slow your processing speed down and allow you to just be in a headspace to maybe close your eyes or listen a little bit more intently to where you can experience this next piece of audio as a performance. And then after that, we we'll jump right into my conversation with my mom. So here it is. I grab your whip and take it back to when I'm in Surviving a coma didn't solve my fear of death. I couldn't even think about it too long without panicking. But my mom was by my bedside the whole time and she's not afraid. She believes in heaven. My friends who visited the hospital commented on her strength. They expected to see this withered woman, but they found her grateful and trying to make them comfortable. One guy told me how dark and intense her eyes were, all whites and big, deep pupils. Her oldest sister, Sheila, was a support beam for her during that time. Sheila died in the month of January. She had brain cancer for a year, but my mom's hope during that year made Sheila's decline seem more sudden than it probably was. When I visited my parents for Christmas, I asked my mom if it terrified her that Sheila was going to die. She said, I'm very sad and I'm going to miss her, but I know she'll be in heaven and I know she's looking forward to seeing Ben my cousin and Sheila's son who had died of skin cancer years before. I couldn't believe her confidence and it feels a little embarrassing saying her words now, but there was something undeniable about her belief. I had wanted to send Sheila this complete and perfect letter with all my thoughts and feelings for her to read on her deathbed, but I didn't get the chance before she pocket-dialed my mom on Christmas Day. When my mom handed me the phone, I swallowed to hold back tears and told Sheila that I loved her and had a thousand things to say, but no words. 
and in a soft, tired voice, Sheila said, Thank you, David. I understand. Some things are bigger than words. Then she said, I guess this is it. And it was. The first question people ask when they find out I was in a coma is, do you remember anything? And I always tell them no, but that's not the whole truth. There is something. I've never told anyone this, but there was a moment where I left my body. I became two inches tall. I pulled back one eyelid like a manhole cover, crawled out, and I stood on top of my own forehead. My parents were having a conversation by my hospital bedside, and my dad was frustrated. Why aren't you worried? I am, but I know God will provide. Provide what? A way. A way what? For this to work out. An answer to our prayers. You are praying, aren't you? Yes, I'm praying, but our son's body is expiring. These life supports aren't meant for long-term use. If something doesn't change, he'll die. And in that moment, I saw her grief. It poured from her mouth like smooth black vomit, and it covered the floor like tar until the both of them were stuck. But standing, even after the coma, I feared death. So I tried to keep the darkness at bay. But my mother doesn't fear the darkness. Her reality holds space for it. So what do you think this is going to be? Well, you said that this program is about the afterlife. Uh-huh. Me, so that's what I think it's going to be. What do you think? What do you mean? What do I mean? Yeah, it's just, it's going to be about that. But what do you think it's going to consist of? Like, what do you think the next oh. hour, 45 minutes, what do you think I we might do? I guess I... I you were going to ask me what I thought about the afterlife or, okay, you know, do I believe in the afterlife? Um, what does the afterlife mean to me? Okay. Okay. So you think I'm just going to ask you questions about the afterlife? That's what I thought. Okay. Um, and you said you listened to this show one time. To this particular show? Yeah. I've, I think I've heard of podcast of yours, but I don't know because I know you told me about one, but I don't know if I got to it. You don't remember the guest or? No, I don't. Mm -mm. Okay. Okay. Well, what I'm going to do, I have a few set questions um, that'll, that kind of tend to form segments. So when I said I like pause, that's usually when I pause is when I'm ready to start a new question. Oh, okay. So I just said that you don't have to, I just said, don't worry about pauses because you don't have to feel like you have to keep talking. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, uh, why did you say yes to this? Uh, you, well, first of all, because you asked me 
and because it's a subject that I relate to and believe in and am happy to talk about. So the idea of other people hearing it didn't, you didn't think about that didn't factor in? Oh, well, I thought other people would hear it. Mm -hmm. And I hoped that God would just use me to speak what he wanted to say. Okay. Okay. But what, how do you feel about being a public persona? I feel fine about it. Okay. I, I felt like it wasn't last Sunday. I was in the kids ministry. And one of the things that we needed to prepare was in, in talking to the children is why do I believe in God? Mm-hmm. In order to share that with How old the, the kids? their um, first through sixth grade. Okay. Now I didn't get a chance to do that, but we were to prepare that so that we had a brief message about why we did. We were practicing doing it briefly, and so now this week, then you asked me to talk about the afterlife. So. I'm open to whatever God asked me to do. And I, I think that I would know if he wasn't asking me to do it. How do you, okay. How do you feel about the, we won't say the number of people who tend to listen on average in case it changes with this one. And there's about eight episodes. No, there's about like 12 episodes. This isn't going to come out until around my birthday. In September. Oh, okay. You're the, you're going to be that 100th episode. Oh, okay. So happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Um, so, so it's, so who knows? Maybe the numbers will spike a bunch since between when I just told you how many people listen and, and, and then, but with the number that I told you of people who tend to listen to each episode, are you comfortable with that number? Yes, I am. What if I said, how many times higher would it have to be for you to feel shocked? Hmm. Well, the fact is, is that they're not right here looking at me. Okay. And so I'm hundreds of thousands of people could listen and you would you be bet. fine with that. Okay. Sure. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Sure. If you got recognized in Kroger. Oh, no, I'm not doing this for me to be recognized. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Okay. I want God to be recognized. I want God to be glorified. So that's why the numbers don't bother me. Were you curious why I asked you? Um, No, not really. Okay, that's interesting. Not really, because I figured you were interested in hearing my thoughts on it. Okay. I don't know that we've ever really talked specifically about that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just assumptions from growing up in the same church institutions together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paint your hell. Customized hell designed for you specifically. Um, the absence of God. Okay. The complete absence of God being just being out of the presence of God. So do you feel like you've experienced that 
on Earth? No. No. Okay. What do you? What does the presence of God feel like? For me, yeah. I, I experience His love. I experience His peace. I experience how He just wants to be with me, and how He wants me to just be with Him. That I don't have to, you know, I don't have to check off a certain number of things like, well, I read three scriptures today, so I'm good. Okay. The presence of God for me is, um, God is, one of the names of God is Jehovah Shammah. Okay. And it means God is present, God is here, God is there. And uh, he he wants to be with me all the time. And I can't, I don't always feel it, but I do know that he's with me and that would be my faith. But what's, so when you say feel it, what are the ways you experience that? Is it, do you feel it in your body? Is it, are there parts of your body that feel it more than others? I would say, you know, in my spirit. Your spirit. But you're pointing to your chest. Well, a lot of people, when you say, you know, I gave my heart to the Lord, that's not talking about the blood pumping heart. That's that's the core of your being. Right. And it's the part of me that's directly connected to God. Mm -hmm. It's my relationship with God. But it sounds like there's a chest feeling there, Mm. physically. I would say, I guess, a peace in my soulish realm, you know? But are you hesitant to attach it to a part of the body? No. Okay. No. I just, you know, I just, I don't feel it in my feet or my legs. Okay. I think I I feel it in, in where I sense, and I sense from my core, and I think of my core as being here. Yeah, your solar plexus, your abdomen, that kind of stuff. Mm, Yeah, in my, yeah. Do you ever feel it when you're working out at the gym? The presence of God? Yeah, like in that that, that abdomen? Well, no. Okay. Not in the abdomen, no. I mean, I I feel muscles being tried and worked. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The other day I felt like my whole abdomen was twisted, but that was a... That wasn't a something that needed to be adjusted by the chiropractor. <laughs> yeah, and that was good. But um, yes, I uh, that pr- presence of peace and love. I feel like I relate to everybody that goes there very well. I feel the freedom to talk to people. Uh, about God, I have one coach that we just talk freely about. God and how he's present and wants wants to answer our prayers and um he has a daughter who's been diagnosed with stage 4 kidney disease but they are they are treating her this has been going on for several years she's now 7 or 8 uh. but so since she I think she was finally diagnosed at about 3 and he's talked about how he looks back and he says, God was always there. 
Hmm. And I've, I've talked to him about my testimony, about how I um, finally got serious and gave my life to God and knew there was a change mm-hmm. in my life. So, so yeah, I, I feel it at the gym. I And so it sounds like some of the ways that you experience this presence are in conversation with other people, mm-hmm. in thinking about it. Oh, yes. In hearing, being at church, hearing sermons. Oh, yes, definitely. And being around the other people. You know, having the opportunity to share the love of God that is on the inside of me with other people. So could you imagine a heaven? Not that we're really talking about heaven. I know we're talking about hell still. But what what would it feel like to be in the presence of God, but no people around Would that, does any of that feel hellish at all? Well, no, no, it doesn't feel hellish, but it, 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 it seems strange. Cause I, I guess just cause I know that there will be other people there, people that have gone before me. Uh, what there in heaven, in heaven with God. In the presence of God. What do you hope happens when you die? I hope that I am eternally with the Lord in the presence of God, worshiping Him, rejoicing with all the other saints, experiencing life like I never experienced it on the earth. I What do you mean? What's how do you experience it on the earth? What's the like well, change you imagine? There? Life on the earth, the natural life is full of all kinds of situations, ups, downs. You know, I believe that I can always be joyful, but I do get sad. Mm-hmm. Uh the loss of um people that I love. Mm-hmm. Uh the situation with the coma that was very difficult, difficult, mm-hmm. and tested my faith beyond anything that I've ever gone through. So, life on the earth, you know, circumstances come up, and especially, you know, what we're going through lately, you know, what tragedies. You and I. You mean in the news? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the news and the utter grief at people losing their children. You're talking about, like, mass shootings. Yeah. In Buffalo and And Uvalde. Uvalde. And uh, people, because I remember bringing you guys to school or having you ride the bus and saying goodbye and packing your lunch and saying, have a good day and, you know, praying for you. And, and I can't imagine saying goodbye and not seeing you again. I mean, that's a, that's a heavy grief. So when you say, so it sounds like pain, the absence of pain is yes. what you hope happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it not sound boring? No, not in the presence of God. But like... 
rejoicing. I mean... But think about being at like a wedding or something, rejoicing. Mm-hmm. You're not like dancing on the dance floor the whole time at the wedding. No, but you're talking to people and mm-hmm. you might be serving people or... Okay. Um, y- you know, but you're fellowshipping, walking around, talking to people. You have usually pretty good food there. Yeah. I imagine that the banquet that's promised will be there. So what do you imagine? What food do you imagine? You know, I've, I've never really thought about that because I just thought, whoa, I've never been to a banquet that big. I've been to weddings, you know, where mm-hmm. they had a lot of food. I think there was a lot of food at Rebecca's wedding. <laughs> there was yeah. a lot of food at, at Michael and Kristen's wedding. But I, I just, I mean, I don't know, I guess... Maybe some of my favorites, cinnamon rolls, now that I think about it. That's one of my favorites. My mom used to make those. And, man, if there were cinnamon rolls there, (laughs) I will not get bored. (laughs) Is it – yeah, What what, you made me think of something. No. Um, Cinnamon rolls. Oh, would would your diet change? Because your diet right now has – as you've gotten older, gotten very uh, restrictive. Is in the it's it's gotten. I would say it's restrictive. <laughs> well, that does it feel like disordered? Does that feel like disordered? Yeah. No, because restricting often has like an uh, anorexic sort of. Oh, really? Tone to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. no, I. It's just it's a lot simpler. It's simpler, and the menu is smaller than at any. Yeah, other time that's in your true life. because. For one thing, there are things I just can't eat now. Right. So if you're in heaven, do you think those things will change? Would change? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you would be like, so your diet right now is not necessarily everything you would like to be eating exactly when you'd like to be eating it. Um, I don't know because I I eat to feel good. Right. And I well, I eat to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I just ate anything I wanted, I really would not be happy. I really sure. wouldn't feel good. Right. I mean, not just physically, but emotionally mm-hmm. and mentally. But I, if you knew that you could feel good no matter what you ate in heaven, mm-hmm. cinnamon rolls. Oh, not just cinnamon rolls. I mean. What else? Well. I don't want to get away from the importance of God in heaven. I don't do want to make food th- my God. But do you think that God can't be present in your food? Oh, sure. Um, I guess pizza, maybe. Okay. What kind of pizza? Pepperoni with pineapple on it. Okay. So, okay. So this is in, when you say to not make food your God, this is interesting because the thing that I sense... And tell me if I'm wrong, is a hesitance, hesitation to make it concrete. Like it it sounds like what you hope happens after you die, the afterlife, heaven, are the all these things synonyms that I'm saying? Yes. Okay. It sounds like it's very much a feeling and less a concrete. Oh, I'll be able to live in this kind of house. I'll be able to 
eat this kind of food, it, it, it sounds like you're hesitant to attach it to those like things like that. Um, I, I would say so. I know that, you know, the Bible does describe what it's like in heaven. Do you buy, is that what you feel like the description it will be? Or do you think that's kind of an old, we're talking about like streets of gold, pearly gates, yeah, that kind and, of stuff. And, you know, mansions. And I, I can't even imagine what heaven is like, but I do know that being in the presence of God and, you know, seeing Jesus face to face, that, that, I just can't imagine that, but I'm, I welcome it. So, I, I mean, people talk about, well, there's mansions and you're going to have a mansion and, you know, you might, you, you know, there are rewards in heaven. The one thing that I, I hope to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So words of affirmation. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Hoping that I did do some things that spread the knowledge of God and helped other people to move into a relationship with God. Rewards seems weird. It sounds kind of contrary to the thing you were talking about earlier about not needing to earn God's love. You know? But then you're earning rewards? Well, I'm not. Well, there is, there's a judgment, and your works either helped people to know God, or they didn't. And, you know, if you, uh, for instance, well, if I can mow my neighbor's lawn, or there was an example someone gave, if I can mow my neighbor's lawn 10 times this week, well, then I'm going to move up in God's opinion. Well, it's, it, that's, that's not the way it works. Right. I would say that if I have served people the way that Jesus told me to serve people, the way that Jesus said to make him known on this earth, then, um, and I, I don't know what the rewards are, but that's why I said, I'm just hoping that what I have done on this earth will have spread the knowledge of God to others, helped other people to be in relationship with God, to know Jesus, to have, have that hope hope of eternal life, an eternal life with God. So when I say, I hope that, and, and, and I hope other people, I want other people to experience the love of God. There's enough sadness in this world to take care of, you know, anybody who might have too much joy. There's right. plenty of sadness. Yeah. But to know that you know that you know that God loves you, God cares about you. And it's, it, I must admit, I haven't always been able to picture that. Okay. It, 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 even after I gave my heart to the Lord. I mean, when I did that, I thought, 
I knew he cared about me because he brought me through so many different times when I was not giving him any attention at all, not making him my God. Okay, so when did you or how did you start picturing this this knowing that you know? After, you know, obtaining some knowledge and learning and hearing God preach and relating it to my... Through people? Uh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hearing people teach about God and people who had, you know, been... M- well, I can't say more scholarly because I don't think I'm a Bible scholar, but mm-hmm. but they they knew the Word of God, and you knew that they knew it by the way that they taught it, and it resonated on the inside that, yeah, that's right, that's right. So what are, are there like pieces of knowledge you can say like, oh, when I, and it doesn't even have to be a specific sermon you remember, but oh, when I heard this phrase or this verse or this story or this experience that clicks some things into place for mm-hmm. me. We, uh, the, our previous pastor who left about two years ago to go work in a uh, convoy of hope, he was, you know, finished pastoring and moved up and God brought us another pastor. Who's, who is the previous pastor? Pastor Brad. Oh, okay. He used to say, there's nothing and and this will tie into you don't have to work to get god to approve of you mm-hmm. uh, which is which is uh, the definition of grace um you there's nothing you can do to make god love you more and there's nothing you can do to make god love you less and i thought that's awesome because sometimes i'm just not a a very nice person and i could see him being disappointed but He's not because he's not looking at me in what I do. He's looking at me through the eyes of his son that he sent to sacrifice for my mistakes and my errors and my lack of relying on him and trusting him. So he sees me through the eyes of Jesus. And that was that was very that was years ago and that was very enlightening for me i i i relaxed and thought wow that's great and it you know there was something i was going to mention before and that is um i can't remember it but when i think of it i'll say it yeah so well oh wait yeah, yeah go ahead so the fact that and um and this is from the book of romans but it's a scripture that has meant a lot to me mm-hmm. there is nothing that can separate me from the love of god not tribulation not trials not having my son go through a coma well can i stop you there sure i want to hear about you said that was the biggest test of faith Mm-hmm. that you've had mm-hmm. if i had not survived do you think your faith would have survived i i mean i i believe it would have okay because i 
I didn't know what was happening, but I believed anyway. Right. And I, I believed that if you didn't, I would see you again. Okay. In heaven. So then what was so, the and that trial does, of that faith? does not mean that there was no grief. There's plenty yeah, of grief. There right. was plenty of um holding my breath and and shock. Uh so the trial was just day after day after day worshiping the Lord, thanking him. And and faith you can't time your faith in God. You put your faith in God and you your faith is being built by the patience and endurance that you give to it. Like just Lord one one thing that I said all the time was Lord, I I'm not going to be moved by what I see here. I am not moved by the fact and I'm not joking, but I'm not going to be moved by the fact that David is not moving or waking up. Mm-hmm. And, and it was hard to see you there. And, um, especially when, you know, during the night they would try to take you off the ventilator and you would thrash and fight it. And, mm-hmm. and, and that made me feel concerned. But I, I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm not moved by what I see. I am not going to be moved by what I feel. And I'm seeing and feeling plenty, Lord. You know that because I'm an emo- you know, you gave me my emotions. I'm not going to be moved by what I think, eat, smell. I'm only going to be moved by what I believe. And I believe that you are at work in David, both the will and the do of your good pleasure. And you who began a good work in David will be faithful until the day of Jesus Christ. And you are healing David. And, you know, I mean, when we transferred you to Good Sam, there was, there was a big glimmer there, a big glimmer. Mm-hmm. We were, for one thing, moving you out of a hospital where we were not getting any results and where the frustration level was very high because my son was in their hands and I didn't feel like they knew what to do. And, and we, and then we got you to Good Sam and can't even, I know her name, but I can't think of it. But the the director of the ICU got involved. And just be careful about banging the table because the microphone's going to pick it up. It's okay. It's okay. Um, just wait till I. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, she, the director of the ICU, she got right in there. She, I, I could tell. I could tell when doctors knew what they were doing and when they weren't. Right. There was one doctor at the Swedish Covenant. Is that where you were, Swedish yeah. Covenant Hospital? That I, I trusted. I trusted. And at one point, I kind of misappropriated. You know, I didn't completely listen to all his advice. But when we got you to Good Sam, I just knew that she had assessed the situation. And she said, she called us together. She said, this is very serious, but we're going to pray and we're going to trust God. I said, yes. That is exactly what we're doing. And we're going to trust God to work through you. The doctor said this at, the doc- at Good Samaritan? The doctor said, we're going to pray. At Good Samaritan. Yes. Good, Good Sam Hospital in Cincinnati. Yeah. And we're going to trust God. Okay. And I said, absolutely. That's what we've been doing all along. We're not going to stop now. Is that because it's a Catholic hospital they can say that? That seems kind of weird. I 
Don't know. So tell me about your biggest Garden of Gethsemane moment during all that then. Did you have a moment of feeling forsaken? Um, you know, if I did, it was by the doctors. Mm. I felt like you were being forsaken by the doctors. Right. But I didn't feel like God was forsaking me. That was the, that was the faith test. I mean, I had no one else to depend on but God. That was a great place to have me. So this test of faith, it's like, it seems like it is about the, lack of evidence to support the belief or evidence that is contrary to the belief and yet holding on to the belief anyway. Correct. Yeah. That just feels, that feels beautiful when in some instances, but there are plenty of other instances in the world of faith like that that are really dangerous like QAnon stuff you know what i mean oh yeah is it with the difference there you say just that the faith is not in the higher power that you have it's from my knowledge of QAnon the faith is in um q or whatever well yeah, yeah. i mean it's cultish yeah and Cults always bring the attention to the human being, not to God. Right. Um, okay. And the, 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 the faith is in their, um, it's not theories, but there's a term, you know. Conspiracy? Yeah. It's, it's in what they're thinking up in their head. That's where they're, I mean, I can't say I know a lot about it, but I've talked to dad about it. Yeah. I've heard things that. I don't think I have any QAnon listeners. You don't have to. Be worried about offending. Them. Oh, I'm I'm not. I yeah. I would I'd like to pray for them. Okay. Um, are there other things that you definitely wanted to hit in your notes? Um. Uh, uh, something that my pastor said this morning. He said, "Jesus sustains the heart." There is a Savior who loves us so much that he came down to die on the cross for you. And one thing I've been asking the Lord lately is to help me to really, really be enlightened as to what Christ did for me at the cross. I know in my head that he went to a cross. I saw a movie that grieved me. What movie? The movie where, uh, I think, was it called Jesus of Nazareth, where James, um, Cavado, Cavizel. Jim Cavizel? Cavizel you know, played. He's a QAnon guy now. I did not know that. Yeah. So, scratch um, that. No, it's uh, called the, the Passion of the Christ. Is that oh, what Oh, the Passion about? of the Christ. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm sure God has his hand on him in some way. I'm, I'm sure that God's not just going to let him. You know, I think I really believe he's in God's hands. Okay. Not everybody that loves God is always thinking, right? It, God has to, you know, work on them. So, okay, here's here's a thing that I'm struggling with. Because 
throughout the pandemic, um, I, my, my predilection for existing in my head really came to the forefront. Many times I was like, I don't even want a body. I just wish that I could exist in my mind. I wish I could just be a consciousness float around, not have to take walks, not have to go to sleep, not have to take showers, not have to stretch, you know, whatever. Um, and that feels really bad to me. That feels really wrong. Like the fact that I am in a body feels important. And so when you talk about some of these things, it feels disembodied to me a little bit. It feels, you know, oh, I'm not going to look at the evidence of the things I'm seeing, which is physical. I'm not going to pay attention to the physical. I'm going to pay attention to the spiritual. But someone could also refer to that who's skeptical as the immaterial or the invisible, right? And so how does it not – so so what, what's your feeling for why we're even here with bodies in the first place if – the the most important thing we can do is have this belief in spirit. Well, I may have phrased my statement of faith incorrectly because I just heard you say that I'm not going to look at these things. Doctors and people that are helping people to get better, they have to look at those things. What I was saying, and I looked at it daily, but I... I'm not going to be moved by that because okay. my trust is not in what could have. My trust is in the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know, please bring him back. Bring him back. Help him to wake up. And I have to say, there, I did have a sense, too, at the same time that you weren't gone. Okay. And one thing that even occurred to me, and and I'm not being funny. This this was kind of something that bubbled up on the inside, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was something that came to me. Is David always did? I, I, I'm afraid you're going to laugh, and it's going to no, make me it's like okay. it. it's David. Okay to laugh. David. David always did like to sleep. <laughs> he. He could sleep for a long time, but I'm not saying that jokingly. So that was like, oh, so this sleeping isn't really unusual. And now that I, I know what I know, it, you know, about what caused the coma, I could see why it was a struggle to come out of it, but you were still there. Is that a thing you think I like sleeping more than Michael or Rebecca? Oh, I don't even think of it that way. What do no. you mean, then what do you mean? I I, didn't, I never knew that you thought that. Well, I liked like in to sleep. high school, you right. wanted to sleep. It, it. You told me about going to band, and you would tell them, "Oh, my blood sugar's low." And yeah. They said you were in the office on the floor asleep sometimes. Hmm. And so, I mean, not that your blood sugar wasn't low. Yeah. But that was one of the points of contention is that I said, you know, he, he needs to take care of that. Well. We'd go in and people would say he was asleep. You know, they were upset because they, you know. But but no, I mean, Michael liked to sleep when okay. he was 
Yeah, Michael would love to sleep more than he is able to sleep right so now. So that just sounds like puberty, though. Yeah. But you think you're just, you just, that was the last time we lived together, and you just think, well, he liked to sleep then, so. Well, except prior to the coma, alcohol. What What are you, why are you Well, being I, I don't know if you wanted me to say you that. You can say whatever. I can alcohol, also cut out whatever. Alcohol or pot makes you sleepy, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So, so it seemed like you would sleep a lot prior to the coma, too. Did you know that I would fall asleep at parties? S- somebody mentioned that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Fall asleep at parties. But wouldn't that be because you were passing out? Yeah. From being drunk. Ha- higher drunk? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I figured that. But at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know anything until after the coma and you came out and you told us. Okay. So, so, so you don't feel like your faith keeps you from being present in this world? N- no, my faith is necessary in this world because God wants me on this earth. I mean, he could have taken me sooner. There were plenty of times when I was not walking with him. One time I was driving in the snow. I was going to see some people over in uh, Yakima or something, coming back Snoqualmie Pass. It was icy. And it turns out the car I was driving, the 67 Plymouth Valiant, the tires were bald. But I was driving on an icy mountain road where there was no barrier. And I was starting to slide. And I started to pray. And I said, oh, God, please don't let me go over that cliff. Uh, I know my behavior going out and partying with my friends Probably wasn't the best to do. And I'm sorry, but please don't let me die. Why not, though? What was wrong with partying with your friends? Well, I mean, putting, I guess, because I put that over God. I didn't put God first. I didn't, you know, I mean, what, to me, it just, seems so empty now. It's not like I was partying like a birthday party. I mean, you know, I'd go over and I'd be drinking and, and you know. But Jesus drank? Well, yeah, wine. That was really pretty much all that was available. But I mean, I'm talking about drinking and getting drunk and just living my own way, a way that I, I was pretty sure God wasn't, you know, involved in my life. Let me put it that way. Okay. So I'm not condemning people that I know that that drink or or party. I'm just saying that in my life, God was not first place. Okay, and I wanted Him to be first place, but I was just living life in a very selfish way. I was putting myself first. Because the reason I ask you about this is one of the things that I'm very aware of and was very aware of before I even started the podcast two years ago is that the afterlife has been used by people in power as a tool of oppression to say, oh, hey, uh, you know, medieval serfs. Oh, hey, uh, you know enslaved people brought over from Africa. Your life's rough now, 
but in the future, it's going to be great. Like it's, it's all going to be okay when you get to heaven. Meanwhile, you got people exploiting these people in the meantime because they're promising them this thing. So, so how do you, how, how do you maintain a, how do you not overlook the present when there is such a, beautiful perfect promise in the future why wouldn't you want to just get to that well because i believe that god has me on this earth for a reason i mean do you know what it is i believe it's to share his love to help people experience his love and know that making mistakes doesn't have God. God is not waiting up there with a hammer to hit people over the head. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like, and, and to serve people, to serve people that are uh, being mistreated or, uh, and, and stand up for what's right in those areas. It's not right to mistreat someone that you didn't create. But what would you say to someone who went to your church? Uh, you know, let's blur time travel and everything. You're talking to someone who owns people and they're saying, Oh, well, they're going to heaven, you know, uh, you know they it's it's my purpose to um to help them make the most of their physical body and and they they'd be lazy without me they would they wouldn't create the things that they create they now they see my house they built my house they wouldn't have done that if if they didn't have me whipping them and uh and treating them the way that I do I'm I'm converting them into Christianity they came they came over from Africa they didn't have they didn't have Jesus so I'm I'm at, and I've taught them and now they now they believe in heaven so now they'll go to heaven what would you say to that person I'd say that is a really messed up theology it's not a theology that's based on God's love God's love is patient it's kind, it's long-suffering. None of those things matches up with that. I, I, I would say that they are taking things into their own hands. They're not, I don't see the fruit of what they're doing being produced. The, the, you, you know people by their fruit. If their fruit is cruelty to another human being, well, that, says a lot. I'd say, well, you know, uh, who gives you the right, though, to, you know, bruise another person? That's abuse. There's abuse, and there's right and there's wrong, and abuse is wrong in any form. I would say, I don't agree with your theology. I would say, I think you should continue to come here and listen very carefully <laughs> sure. to the sermons. And you're not, you don't know the same God that, that has revealed himself to me. 
But would you not feel what? Okay, now this is kind of a different question. But would you feel um, implicated to do something more drastic than just talking kindly oh, to this person? Yes, yes. I mean, wouldn't I? Are you asking if I would report this person or? Yeah, I, I don't know. Report. I mean, bur- burn their house down. Bur- take them. You, you you know like get, gather people to you know well this is this is a whole other thing going down that yeah is hard, is, I mean is really <laughs> is, is, I is certainly not- would bring it to the attention of our pastor and the elders and I mean I wouldn't personally go burn somebody's house down uh you know because if he died in it I'd be guilty of murder um i i certainly yeah faith without works is dead i can't just sit there and preach to him i would do what i'd say pastor what can i do here what's what can we do and of course you know the the pastors that i know would certainly do something and they so so how do you feel when people you know, there's kind of a big, speaking of the shootings, there's kind of a big, um, not movement, but a big response people have to people saying they send thoughts and prayers to those people. Um, and they say, well, you know, it'd be nice if you sent, especially politicians, right? Are these politicians against gun reform? Yeah, they're being funded by the NRA. The NRA. Yeah. yeah. And so so they'll say don't politicize this, you know. Oh, it's too it's too soon. It's it's you know, it's being politicized. Our best we can do is we can pray that evil, you know, getting rid of guns won't get rid of evil, you know, as if that's the argument people are making. I I mean, how do you fe- do you feel it is impotent to say the words to say the phrase, oh, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with them. I think it's pretty empty. Yeah. Unless they're doing something to change the situation. And were I a mother or a father mm-hmm. in a situation like that, I would write a letter and say, don't send me your thoughts and prayers. Yeah. You make changes. I mean, I, I, wish somehow I could get involved in a group that's, you know, protesting against the gun current gun laws. You could. In Cincinnati? Yeah. You definitely could. I can help you. Yeah. How can I reach out to those people? How can Let's I Let's look it up. They probably have regular meetings. Oh. And and they're well, like, what's the name of these groups? I don't know. We would have to. We would have. To I know. I need to contact my senators and. My, yeah. I mean. But that that can be kind of. <laughs> now we're getting into and, a whole endless. Idea. Uh, not yeah. not so helpful. Like they'll say thank you. Right. Right. For your letter, I I do understand that, but yeah, I I so want to do something more. That that is reasonable for me to do for sure, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I 
I, I don't know what I was gonna say after that, but no, that's, uh, I mean, the facts speak for themselves. If someone is being supported by the NRA and they say we send our thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers are not going to stop people from losing their children. I imagine we'll be transitioning out of theology at this point. Okay. Let's talk about funeral planning. Okay. Okay. What get give give it all to me? What do you want? What do you not want? What do you imagine? What do you like? What do you dislike? You know, what thoughts have you had about for a funeral for your own funeral? Well, I mean, I've I kidded around, but you can't deny people's grief. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I say I want a party. I say I want, you know, um, a what do I call it? A um, a, a the bag with candy in it. A treat bag. Oh yeah. You know, a you know a a bucket or something. But I mean, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, a bu- a treat bucket. Yeah, like I, little bites of like fun size candy bars. Yeah, in like I wanted people to come up and like around your. Like in your coffin, like around you, or like oh, around me, or you know, <laughs> at, a, at a table. But wait, 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 that doesn't wait, wait. really make you're, you're sense. Say, you, you're, say- <laughs> you're saying you imagine you being in a coffin. Uh-huh. Is that right so far? Yeah. In addition to your body, it's filled with fun size. No, candy no, bars. no, 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 not in the coffin. Oh, that would okay. Be pretty gross. I'm just okay. saying a treasure treasure box, a okay. treasure bag. Okay, just but- somewhere where, but. So what would it – it just has candy. What What is the – other than the fact that you carried a treasure bag around and, you yeah. know, gave it to kids that you were working with. Yeah. Is there any other – is there a specific kind of candy in it? No, it was just so people would have fun at my funeral. But okay. I have to be respectful if, you know – Why? It's your funeral. Oh, because I I wouldn't want to be told not to grieve. I wouldn't want to be told. But I don't think having a treasure box is being told not to grieve. Well, that's true. I just don't know, as you say, is there a significance behind that, except that you used to give that out? Well, that's a big, I mean, I think a lot of people probably associate you with that. Yeah. Hmm. If you asked kids who got older, they would remember you as... The lady with the treasure bag. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I don't it. know. Maybe at the reception. I thought it would be pretty funny if you filled the coffin up with <laughs> the candy. No, that would be, that. I think that would confuse people. Like, for instance, if I, if I was saying goodbye to dad, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't want anything like that. But once- if At his funeral. Yeah. yeah. One thing I do But want, that would be saying that you are also a treasure. In the in the coffin, all these other little candy treasures surrounded by you. Is there you're surrounding you. Something else we could come up with to symbolize that? Well, that's what that's you, the question I'm asking you. <sighs> um what I would like is I would like each one of you to 
you know, be able to say something. Your and kids. If what? Each one of your kids. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and say, and the grandkids is say something that if, if anybody wants to. And if you want to tell jokes, talk about funny things, that would be okay, okay. to get people to laugh. Mm-hmm. That would be okay. You know, like, I don't know. I'm, now I can't think of anything, but I know that on one vacation, Michael has a picture of me twerking. Twerking? Yes. To a song. <laughs> two, 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 three years ago when we were in Georgia, he okay. said, twerk, and he got a picture of it. So that wouldn't be appropriate. Why not? Well, it, it could offend people that don't believe in twerking or they don't think it's reverent. They so. don't believe, they don't, I don't, where is this idea that's so wild that you would want, that you're being reverent to something at your own funeral? Wouldn't you be able to dictate every aspect of it? Sure. And one of my dictates is to be respectful. Of what? Of people's feelings. Of, of, of but you, you can't always control what everyone's feeling. I can't control do. it, but I can suggest things that are you know. Is is that is that a value to to be minimally offensive to people? Yeah, uh, respectful. I would say respectful okay. is a is a goal. Okay. You know. Okay. In other words, you know, if if we don't agree on something, I don't have to yell at you and say this is the way it is. I can listen to you and if i don't agree with it i i don't have to agree with it but i can listen to you mm-hmm. i said tell me more about it you know like you do yeah with me yeah but i think if people wanted to you know even show some funny pictures that would be okay okay um do you do you imagine it taking place in a church outside in a specific yeah, city in a building any of any kind i think in a church, okay, yeah. you know where where my home is, wherever my okay earthly home is, you know, cremation or burial. You know that's interesting because I know a lot of people are doing cremation, and I know that it you know saves the earth. But I guess I. I might feel better with um a a you know a burial in the in the coffin. Why? Well, I'm not sure. I just a lot of people don't like the idea of being like reduced to ashes. Oh man, thou art dust and unto dust thou shalt return. That's So that's not your reason. No, I don't. I don't think it is. I mean, our our spirit has already. So, so the other reason just, it it's not to maintain your physical form for a rapture or something like that. No, no. So why not? Why not? Why be buried? Oh, um, well, it's not so much that. I guess it's like closure. Uh, say more. Yeah. Well, like when I go to funerals and there's ashes, it's like, it's hard for me to have closure, say goodbye. I mean, but oh. these are people I don't know very So you well. would want a viewing? Yeah. Really? You don't get, a lot of people get creeped out by, by open casket. Yeah, 
That's true. You you don't. Um, you like it. Oh, I wouldn't say I like it, but, but I, I mean, respect what people have chosen to do. Right. So it doesn't really bother me. Like for instance, Tom Lunsman, Bunny's husband. Mm-hmm. Um. He looked very peaceful and very good. Okay. Yeah. Um. It didn't bother me so I mean I cried when I saw my mother in the in the um casket. But you know, I don't think it creeped me out. Okay. Um so I guess either way people could get creeped out, I guess. Right. Well, yeah, hard to get creeped out if at not being able to see anything. Yeah, there's a picture of the person usually when there's ashes. Yeah. Would you put the picture of you twerking next to your ashes? Yeah, that cannot happen. I'm sure Michael would not do that. But maybe I would. Yes, you might. But out of respect for me, I would say, please don't. Okay. And I'll give you a candy bar. Okay. You walk (laughs) by, I'll I'll have it in my hand. I'll say, Dad, put one in my hand (laughs) and David can take that from me. And that'll be from me to David. Okay. I like that. Um. But what then at the reception, I would like cinnamon rolls. Cinnamon rolls. Of course, and I don't get to have any. So maybe before I go, we should have the cinnamon rolls. Yeah, probably. Because I'm really not into sharing my cinnamon rolls. <laughs> you can see that I do have some material <laughs> listing. <laughs> yeah. So what, do you have songs, uh, song ideas? Yeah, you know, I have thought of some songs. But nothing that I've solidified yet. I mean, I, there, I, you know what? I would love to have CeCe Winans and Torin Wells sing at my funeral. Who's Torin Wells? It's a, it's a Christian artist mm-hmm. and he's, uh, he looks to have, you know, maybe not all black parents, but there, he does have some. It's like mixed race. Yeah, mixed yeah. race, yeah. Like he said one time, he goes, beige don't fade. Okay. <laughs> He's talking about his Is Cece Winans still alive? Yeah, she is. and But she's got to be older than you, right? I think she is. But that's interesting because she doesn't look older than me. Hmm. She looks very young and vibrant. And yeah, check her out because. What? Um, I mean, I don't know. You know what? Uh, when she came to Rama. We could have been the same age because I was an older one at Rama. Oh, she's not older than wait. Yeah, she's not older than you. She's she's born in sixty four. Yikes! No wonder she looks so good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. She's like eleven years younger than I am. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So that's. I mean, because they sing a song called something about. Oh, man, I know this song so well. I played it this morning. Believe. It it is called Believe, but it's like, um, believe in the impossible and you can see a miracle. And And that's what you would want played? Yeah. I I think it would, something uplifting. Um, um, Oh, who, who else? Oh, I know. The Canadian that sings the prayer and sang the prayer with... um, Josh Groban? Yeah. I'd like Josh Groban to sing the prayer. Or on... Is is that the name of a song? The prayer, The prayer? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Andrea Bucelli. I would love to hear him sing it, but I would love to have Josh Groban sing it. I just don't know who the girl would be. Oh. Why do you need a... Oh, there's a girl. There's a, there's a female fem- voice in yeah, it. Yeah, okay. you need a female voice in it. The prayer. Yeah. But there's there's other songs. I just... I'd have to... It's, it's really funny because I listen to these songs all the time, and then when I go to think of them, it's like hard to remember. So I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay. You know, eventually. <laughs> I'm going to do the question I normally ask at the end okay. right now. Because I, I have an idea for the question that I most want to hear you say at the end. So, this question is, what's your coma? And I normally have to explain to people that I was in a coma and that then I wrote a couple one-man shows about it and this podcast came out of those. But what I'm asking is, what is a moment for you where before you would say you're one version of yourself and after you were another? And it doesn't have to be grandiose it can be a split second it can be one little decision it can be anything i think a life contains many of these moments but what's one of them for you november 10th 1982 okay were you and dad not married yet no 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 not even engaged okay i for the longest time i had just poured my heart and soul into finding a man to marry mm-hmm. and then having children. You're 29 at this point. I was 29. Yeah, I wasn't 29 yet. In December, I was 29. Right, right, yeah. right. And um, so, you know, I I dated a lot of guys and, you know, none of them were great. And But I, I, um, I settled. Because I was so insecure that if someone showed an interest in me, it just, it just made me feel good. And at that time, I was not, uh, there's a phrase called, you know, I, I wasn't devoted to the Lord. I was not really living for the Lord in the sense that he was my God, he was number one, and I was praying and reading my Bible. And yet I had accepted Christ in high school, but I didn't know what it meant to be discipled and to learn more about God. And I, the impression I got is once you ask Jesus into your heart, that's it. But, you know, I was in high school and I was dumb and didn't think that it mattered, you know, how I lived. And so, um, I finally started dating this one guy and I thought, I think he could be the one. And yet this guy was so rude to me. But I, I talked to, you know, a friend, a mutual friend of dad's and mine, George. Mm-hmm. And he, he kind of was mentoring me at that point. And, and he said, you know, if, if you want to marry Paul, why don't you go before the Lord and tell him that? Just 
get on your knees. But like I said, he'd been pretty rude. And Oh, I know. George was saying, well, you know, you do need to learn to forgive people. And so it was under that guy's, which really was not, it, it wasn't wrong to learn to forgive people, but in mistreating me, I didn't have to subject what did he myself. Do? Like what kind of rude how? Oh, well, like we went to a football game and I was sitting next to him. And evidently I was not the first girl that he brought, although he, we were dating. Because people were looking at me like, what are you doing here? Well, then this guy, and I don't know if he had been drinking or whatever, but he, this guy from down below the stadium walks up these stairs, Mm -hmm. way, way up these stairs. And I'm on the end and he turns to me. Of all the people in the crowd, he turns to me and goes, you're in my seat. And I said, "Uh, no, this is my seat. Paul's right there. And I, and he said, well, no, no, you're in my seat. You need to get out. I said, no, this is my seat. And that went on a few times. And I turned to Paul. I said, uh, Paul, could you, hello? And he finally said, um, buddy, this is her seat. We've got the tickets. He, he finally, you know, got rid of them. Yeah. But he didn't do it real fast. Okay. Uh, he wasn't really on top of it, but he, he let it go. Never, never should have let it stand there and let me right. interact with this guy who's trying to tell me to get I I think I should have gotten out of the seat, gone down, called somebody to pick me up and then gone home. Okay. That would have been a good thing to what do. What do you mean you weren't the first like, at the same game? No, took- no, 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 no. Like he had tickets. He had season tickets. Oh. And oh, I have a okay. feeling he he brought this girl that he felt was very well endowed okay. from Boeing. Okay. You know, the first time. And they must have thought, well, they're a better match than Did he work at Boeing too? Yeah. That's how you met him. Uh-huh. Okay. Because you worked at Boeing. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So um then another time he was talking about this girl. And he said, you know, I met this girl and we we're dating. And uh she's tall. You know, she he was pretty tall and I was shorter. She's tall. She's like almost as tall as I am. And he goes, and she's got, you know. Really nice, you know, I don't know what word he is. And he even said it, I think, in front of his mother. And his mother said, Paul. And I just overlooked it. I mean, I, but that's the thing. I, I allowed people to treat me that way. Right. Just because I was desperate to find someone who liked me. So. so awful. Oh, I look back and I think, "Mm, okay. So what would you say now if you if 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 you had all your if you had your brain yeah, yeah back now back then what would you say to him if he said that I think I'd say you know it's not so much that you don't want to be with me it's that you're being so unkind if you know if that's who you want go get her and then I you know, if I really was bold enough, I would have again left and gotten a ride home. I said, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't. Why are you always getting a ride home? Why aren't you driving yourself home? Well, because he would have picked me up or. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay. So. So November 10th, 1982. Yeah. Uh, so in the meantime, I had, I had prayed and I said, Lord, I need to know, and I put a date on it, I need to know at some point whether or not Paul is the one for me to marry. I mean, how dumb am I? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I finally grew a brain. I finally grew a brain. <laughs> and 
And I said, so by November 11th, I either Paul's going to ask me to marry him or, you know, we're over. Why then? I just set up a date. You know, there was nothing happening at that time. No. You just. Just chose a date. Okay. So on November 10th, uh, Paul, um, I, I would have problems going to sleep at night, being worried about Paul, whether he liked me or he was going to call. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, would you give me a scripture to go to bed with? Mm-hmm. Because I need peace. I got to get to sleep. I got to get up in the morning. And now this isn't how I always read my Bible, but I did open up my Bible and it just so happened I was in Isaiah and I just looked. I thought, okay, I opened up, I'll check this out. And I went to Isaiah 45 verse Four and five, and it said, I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God before me. There's no God beside me. I alone am the Lord. And it goes on to say something else, which I, I wouldn't get right, but I rain down righteousness, um, and I create this. But, and I said, so I, I wrote that scripture down at any time I went to worry. And I was at work. I had it on my desk. Anytime I went to think about Paul, I just went to that scripture. And I basically changed the tape going through my head. Mm. I taped over the negative stuff. Oh, you know, you're afraid you're, you're gonna, he's not gonna call you. And I just changed what I was thinking. And by the end of two days, I had forgotten about Paul. I had forgotten whether or not he was going to call me. And I thought, so Lord, this is so nice. I'm not even worried. I feel so happy. And I don't care if Paul ever calls again. <laughs> okay. So, so George, you know, I'm still talking to George about Paul. He said, if you want Paul, go before the Lord and tell him that. Right. You know, and that kind of goes back to, there isn't anything you can't talk to God about. He's always there. Mm-hmm. He wants you to come to him for everything. And I did. I got on my knees that night. And I said, Lord, I'm coming to you because I want to tell you that I want. And I just stopped. Not on purpose. It just stopped. And I said, Lord, I want. And I couldn't say it. And I I, I think I tried again. I said, Lord, I want. I said, you know what, Lord? I don't. I don't know about Paul, but I do know because I had tasted of the Lord. There is a scripture that says, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. That is what happened to me because I had experienced God in a real way. He wasn't up there anymore. With the re-replacing the tape. Well, yeah, with focusing on the scripture, running that scripture through my mind and memorizing it. Basically, I was meditating on it instead of worrying about Paul. But I was running a new tape through my mind. Yeah. Um, And I said, I don't don't know about Paul. I really don't. But I do know that I want you. You're banging the table again. I do know that I want you. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help me go to sleep. Went to sleep. Next day in the car, I woke up. I was really happy. In the car, you woke up? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Next day in the car as I was driving to work. But okay. in the morning when I woke up. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a part I haven't told you. I used to sleep in my car. <laughs> 
No, I went to bed. I woke up and I had this joy that I had not experienced. I mm. was carefree. And what a great feeling. I mean, you've had that feeling before, haven't you? Carefree, being carefree. And mm. It's actually, been a long not, time, but yeah. I mean. Yeah. Well, it had I been guess. for me. Yeah. So I'm driving to work and I'm, and it's November 11th, the deadline. Right. And I'm driving to work and I was praying. I said, Lord, I just am so happy. And I said, you know, I had this deadline. And I said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I, I know that I'm with you. And I, honestly, I, I wouldn't try to make this up or be super spiritual about it because it, it falls flat if you do. But right. I had to turn around in my car because so loud in my heart, I heard, yes, isn't it true? Isn't it me that you've always really wanted after all the searching and all the guys and, do, you know, going out and see, I wasn't, I didn't really want to go out and be drinking and partying. You know, whenever I got with my Christian friends, I wanted to pray and do things. I wanted to go and hang out with them and do things. But he said, isn't it me you've always wanted after all this time? And I, I actually turned and I said, yes, it is. It's you I've been seeking for. You said that out loud. I did. I mean, he talked to me. I was in shop back. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, but I would have anyway. I and I said, "Yes, Lord, that is that's right. It's you I've always wanted." I was way over Paul. And it wouldn't have been nice for me him to go to him and say, "You know, what I what I was thinking, you know, like how he mistreated me and how I really only liked him for his parents because I liked his parents." Okay. Um so anyway, I I go to work and uh I'm just really happy. And um I, I started telling people that story, and at that time I was going to the Catholic Church. About a week later or two weeks later, um, I went to church on Saturday, and there was this couple there called, um, it was a, a guy in my class at school. It was his parents. It was Eileen and something Sigadelli. So it was Eileen and her husband Sigadelli. And uh, I got to be good friends with them. They wanted to set me up with their son because I was such a nice Catholic girl, and mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was at church, and Mister Sigadelli turned to me and he said, "So, how's your love life?" And I said, "Oh, it's great. I'm more in love with the Lord now than I ever have been." And he turned to some people around him and said, "Did you hear what she just said? She said she's more in love with the Lord now than she's ever been." And they were very, I. I don't think they were just nominally. They, I saw them very, very. I really believe that they had a relationship with God, and mm -hmm. they were connected. Um, and I, I, I started telling people about. That. And the, wait, but and and those people, what did they do? They, they just, I don't know. I think we all went to breakfast. They, they just. He kind of <laughs> chuckled. And, oh, okay. Uh, they, so he wasn't like making fun of you, or no. was he? Oh no, oh, okay. he laughed like. Like he was totally mm. blessed. Okay. Like it was spreading. And then, you know, dad came into the um, airport that year to go to a wedding down in Vancouver, Washington, south of there. Mm -hmm. and for some friends of ours from Alaska that Joe and Mary knew. So Joe and Mary came in. They went down to, uh, Alan Darcy went to Vancouver and George and Jacques came in. So 
we met dad at the airport December 10th. And by that time, because I had met dad in 80, and I really fell for him. And he said that he fell for me too. But then he said, yeah, this this isn't going to work out because I have to go back to school and, you know, mm-hmm. you're here. And I said, okay, I, I thought it could work out. But I didn't say that to him because when I thought of who I wanted to marry, he just, he described everything. He was mm-hmm. what I had basically written down in my mind, my heart too. Other than religious stuff, what what were the qualities? Oh, I mean- he had a sense of humor. He was handsome. He was cool. He held my hand. He even to this, even as far as this, I always thought of my husband as being very affectionate. And I, I had this image of, of my husband uh, being behind me and holding me mm. like this. Yeah. And he did that. He mm. did that in 80 without any yeah. indication that we were going to get serious later. Yeah. So he comes back in 82, and that's when we started to re- – now, granted, I was dating someone else at that time, really nice guy. He was – Not uh, Paul, some other guy. Oh, no, not Paul. This guy was so, – this whole story of feeling <laughs> fulfilled by God, you are still dating people at well, this point. Well, this guy was a really nice guy. I mean, he was the brother of a priest, and I I knew that – But were, you are still dating people. Just one, though. Just this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying, what but I'm just saying – Patrick. It's just funny because it's – McKenna. Pat McKenna. Because it sounds like a story of you, you know, coming into yourself – and maybe spending some time alone, but you're not really Well, spending- I did. I mean, I didn't start dating him, like, right away. That's pretty soon, between, in within a month. Yeah. Had I met him yet? Yeah. I'm, I, not, say- I'm not saying it's bad. It's but we But we just went out for a couple weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, I met him at church. His, his brother was a priest, Tim McKenna, and they introduced us. Yeah, that's fine. And Sally was in that parish, and she knew that- I had been, you know, Bill broke up with me, the guy I was engaged to. He broke up with me, which is fine, because that was another okay. thing I settled for. I mean, I do, I think people would be interested to hear all this, but I do want to wrap get, it up. No, 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 not oh. wrap it up, but but return to the, because the, it doesn't even Change. sound like meeting dad was the, was the coma. The coma was this experience of, of, uh, as you would say, correct me if I'm wrong, committing your life to God. And a heart change. Right. And, and I a was turned all of, the way around. I didn't even care about getting married. And here's the thing that I'm hearing, and not to be too precious with or, or psychoanalyze but a lot of the things you're saying, the 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 aha moment you had when Pastor Brad said, there's nothing you can do or not do, this moment in the car of God being the one you're looking for the whole time, it sounds like there is a sense of incompleteness or inadequacy or, yeah, just less than or or a lack of whatever you want to call it, self-esteem, self-compassion that you had, which I would guess came from partly the way you were treated in your family a little bit, maybe, but that's 
kind do you think that's right? oh yeah i mean my dad didn't really he didn't you know like in the family, you know, we would say, I love you and right. you're a success mm -hmm. and you go out there and, you know, greater is Christ is in you. He didn't, he came from the old time where, you know, you, you got a spanking with, not that you guys didn't. Um, I think I've apologized for that, but we'll get back to that later. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, but, you know, he just spanked me. If he was angry, he just spanked me. Yeah. I mean, he didn't just come home and get angry and take it out on me, but like, Johnny and I did something to clog up the pipes one time, and it all leaked downstairs. And he came up. He just just uh, you just we took a we big had no clothes on. We took a bath in a shower, oh. <laughs> and it was a low shower, and it was wood. I mean, they put wood there yeah. that was decaying. Wasn't uh, really all my fault. Yeah. We were just kids playing. And, you know, it was Johnny's idea, but I don't think he spanked Johnny. Anyway, so um, so you know, we were filling up in water and just playing, just you know. Fellowshipping <laughs> <laughs> over water, and okay. and we were both making it. He said, "Get out of there!" Because the water was seeping mm. into downstairs, mm. and he spanked me. And so you know, and he he didn't say he was sorry, but he would eventually come around. And my mom was not, you know, she would be real sarcastic, and mm. you know, um, and uh, she would make funny remarks, but she did. She was tender with me too at times, but I think the closer she got to dying. But anyway, but so this, this there is, was that, right? Yes. And so the 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 connection I'm drawing is that I know that your belief about your your spiritual beliefs are there's a heavy element of truth. I've found what I believe to be true, right? Yes. But described aside from the idea of theology, aside from the idea of truth, the function that religion has served for you is to make you feel like enough, to make you feel whole, to make you feel good enough. Would okay. you say that's right? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So describe that? Describe that. No, 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 no. I'm just I'm I'm just because kind of there was something I was going to say that okay. I got to that when I I had that prayer time in the car, I I didn't care if I ever got married. Right. That was a that was a new person. Right. I'm telling you that was change, big change. I wasn't dependent on people liking me or loving me. Well, and that's what I'm kind of getting at is that's what seems to be. You know, because people describe their coma moments, but then I want to know, okay, well, what was the, who was the person before the moment and who is the person after the moment? And it oh, sounds like the person, yeah, the person before, before was, very was the person looking for guys to fill this, this whole prop up this sense of self and the person after felt more confident, felt complete. like enough, complete. Yeah, complete. Yeah. Like, I didn't need to get married. I had a relationship with the Lord, and I was like, hey, it's you and me. We'll yeah. go to prayer meetings together. We'll pray. We'll hang out. You'll get to know me. I'll get to know you. I mean, it was just so kind of God to be patient, to watch me almost destroy my life. By it's, being with Paul? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> by going out with most of the guys that I oh, went okay, out with okay. and getting into dangerous situations. You know, like um, drinking, getting drunk, yeah. coming home, being drunk, still hung over the next morning and still basically drunk. And getting in a car mm. and driving up to Queen Anne Hill to take care of Sheila's kids and falling asleep at the wheel mm. and woke up just before I got to the house. I mean, no, just before I got to the guardrail that was, oh. so, yeah, oh. uh huh, yeah. So he he was just so patient. So the person before was very insecure and just. Yeah. But yeah. do you feel like that was a permanent change? I mean, do you think that insecurity crept back in? Did you ever feel that at times? Um, not like that. Really? I, yeah, not like that. Not like, uh, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Th there were times when I, I, yeah, there were still times when I wanted people to like me. And, you know, with dad, I had a hard time with um, jealousy because there never was a guy that was really interested in me for long, except for Pat, Pat McKenna. He, he was The guy just, right before dad. Yeah, he okay. was just a really nice guy. And I thought, well, you know, I, I didn't know. I didn't know dad was going to come by. I, and I wasn't looking for a husband. I just thought, okay, you know, there was a dance at the... At the church, the Saturday before New Year's, and he asked if I wanted to go, and I and I said, yeah, except I was going up to Alaska, and I was going to come back, but once I was up in Alaska, I got engaged to Dad, so I had to break that date. <laughs> yeah. I felt so bad, too, because he, he was a very nice guy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, th there were times of insecurity, sure, because... Would you intentionally conjure that moment in the car as a way of combating that insecurity ever? Uh, no, no. Okay. No, what would you do would, to combat I and would, regain that sense of completeness? I would, you know, to, to, well, for a while, I like the jealousy with dad. I, I just gave into it, but I did, Turned to prayer. I turned to scripture. I um, tried everything I knew, and really, it was a struggle. That jealousy was a struggle because I just felt like you know, Dad would see someone good looking, and you know, and he'd be attracted to that person. And now I see that yeah, you can find someone attractive, but I mean, and it really didn't stop until Dad became a doctor. <laughs> Hey, he's going to see so many people with no clothes on. You know, it broke then, oh, you know. Just the quantity was well, too much. Yeah, it's like I had nothing really to worry about. And then I knew Dad well enough to know that he was very, very professional. Like I would, he would be dressed really nicely. And uh, he always is. And I'd say, you know, if you were my doctor, I would say... I like you. <laughs> I'd say, that is so unprofessional. I'd say, yeah, I know, but I would probably say it. I mean, you know, if I was single mm -hmm. and and if you were single. I mean, I, I'd probably try to get you to ask. You say, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. That's not professional. <laughs> okay. In the second one-man show, which you have not seen, which was called Feed Wolf Ice Cream, 
now is going to be called literally the afterlife. I, I put forward this premise that in the afterlife, you get to fully relive one memory. It's not that the rest of your memories are wiped. It's not that you're stuck in that memory. It's just like a room that you can enter and exit whenever you want, however many times you want, but you have to choose just one memory to drop down into fully re-experience with all five senses. If you had to pick just one, what would that memory be? Oh, it would be that moment in the car. It would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? But I mean, believing that I'm going to be in the presence of God in the afterlife, I don't know that I would feel the need for that memory because I would have so much more. But if I had to pick, it would be that moment in the car. Okay. What? Ju- what about it? Just this the 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 sense of it washing over you. Yeah. Why that moment? The change it gave me, the fulfillment, the the fact that I really connected with God. Now, there are other memories that I have that I could mention. And, you know, they might, I mean, you know, having my children, holding my children in my arms, you know, for the first time. Uh-huh. Holding you. First time you giggled, things like that. But the first thing that I actually thought of was, was that what you said? Okay. But I, I wouldn't feel, I don't feel a need for that now. I'm just saying if God said that to me, you know. Right. But see, that's the thing. That's kind of a rock and a hard spot because, you know, yeah. Is that because it's a moment when, your faith was so felt so literal and real. And it's almost like, not that you didn't need to have as much faith, but that it was the evidence you were being presented was really in line with your beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that part of it? Yeah. And it was a, it was a change of my heart. My literal heart, my desires. Did when you turned back in your car, were you stopped at a red light? Were you parked? Were you driving? <laughs> I was driving, but I thought, hey, if I'm gonna turn and stop looking at the road at any time, this would be no. I just did it quickly. I just, you know, you know, you looked yeah. inside to see if cars. You know, I went like that and went back, and and then I said, yeah. You're and right. it was in the morning when you were driving. It's in to the work? morning, yeah. Okay. I think, like. I forget what time I had to be at work. I think I had to be there by 8 or 8.30. Okay. Yeah. Did, were you, did you have any um, coffee or, or donut or breakfast or anything with you? No. Mm-mm. What kind of car? 67 Plymouth Valiant. What color? Blue. Navy blue. Wait a minute. Is that when I had it? Let me think. Did I still have it then? It might have been my 80, 1980 um, Honda Civic what by color? then. Yeah, silver. Might okay. have been, yeah. I think I had my 1980 Honda Civic by that time. What was the interior? Black. Black like leather or black like the, you know. Black leather, yeah. 
Or, or it might have been felt. Felt, yeah. You know, I think it was the 67th Plymouth Valiant because I remember seeing a full seat in the back. Okay. And the Civic didn't have... No, it was a small, you know, a seat here, seat here, and then a smaller seat in the back. It oh. was a Civic. like oh. It was like a tin can. Okay. Okay. But it doesn't sound like any of those sensory aspects of it are that important to the... Oh, to no. the memory. No, uh-uh. No, that that just was just happened to be what I was getting to work in. Yeah. So I want I want you to give me more I'm not saying you need to, but I am experiencing within myself the desire for more vivid specific details in some of these things you know i want to hear you say i want cinnamon rolls i want you know people to play what's the what's the cranium i want people i want this i want that the the memory has the walls were this color i was chewing bubble gum you know what i mean you mean in the car ride? In, uh, just in in the whole or the whole time of us talking, it's very oh, it's oh. very um I don't know. I'm 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 finding myself not satisfied with the but that's not I, I I'm ex- I'm explaining a state that I'm in, not anything that you've done wrong. It's just it's just really interesting. A lot of a lot of these a lot of the answers to these questions end up being really concrete but your your answers have been kind of abstract kind of you know existing outside of material physical oh. realm mm-hmm. you know yeah so what are you going to do about that well i you know, at the reception at my funeral, I want people to be having fun and, you know, have lots of plenty of food and even dancing if they want to dance. Yeah. You know, music. And I yeah. want people to be happy. Yeah. Um. It, no, it's okay. So yeah. I was. I was. Just, I mean, I can't I tell you what lining around. in the coffin I might want. You can't. Silk. That yeah. would be nice. You want silk. Silk lining. Okay. Why but silk? I just like white silk. Okay. Kind of reminds me of a wedding dress. The, the question is, what is what is an, a belief or an unwritten rule that you have about how the world works? Um, like, for instance, there's a guest that I had who... Um, believe that guardian angels couldn't be people who knew you. So when, when people would talk about, oh, that's your mom passing through, she would be like, in her mind, she would just automatically think, no, it's not. She, she's not allowed to be my guardian angel. Right. So that's like an unwritten rule in her mind. For my example is reading some girly magazine when I was a preteen that said that the most important thing a man can do is keep the toilet seat down after he pees. So now, even still to this day, you know, 25 years later, I still am very 
aggressive about making sure the to- the seat is down after I pee, right? So it can be big and 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 metaphysical like that, or it can be just some little thing. Um, but yeah, what's an unwritten an unwritten rule of the world for you or of life? Can we have a part two and I come back next week? <laughs> no, I just, I, I, I think I'm probably getting hung up on something that I don't need to get hung up on. Um, but what do you mean hung up on something? Well, what w- I might be making this more difficult than it well, is. Well, what are you hung up on? The unwritten rule part. What? <laughs> I never thought about the world in terms of unwritten rules. Right, but what, what's a what's an assumption you think you have that maybe other people don't have? Like, for instance, one unwritten rule I can think of for you is uh, putting down a napkin when you eat fast food. Okay. I don't think everyone does that. Oh, you mean at a restaurant? At a restaurant, yeah. You mean they just eat off the table? Well, they have their wrapper underneath it. Okay, I know. Okay. My unwritten rule is I can't... I can't work directly on, um, you know, like a, a marble island or whatever, granite mm-hmm. island. Um, actually, I, I don't like working directly on a surface. I do need to put, well, currently I put down a placement and then I put down, <laughs> I put down a, uh, paper towel. Uh, not yet. No, okay. I, I put down a um, parchment, parchment paper. Okay. And then I put down the paper towel because whatever gets on the paper towel, the parchment paper won't let through to the um, placement. Placement. And I've developed it even further that I can use these paper towels to to wipe my face when I'm finished doing something. The t- paper towel you used for food or something? Well, I mean. In the way of food is, you know, I'll have cheese and a turkey roll-up, but I'd be sure I wouldn't put the turkey roll-up directly on the paper towel. I would put it on a paper plate, roll it up, but then I can use one, you know, paper towels are broken into sections. I can use that to roll up my, um, you know, my turkey roll-up that I put in my lunches. Uh I put them in a... Have you heard anybody snore yet? Anybody snore? No, yeah. I think this is good stuff. <laughs> I have snack bags, so I put the turkey roll up in there. So I have a plate where I put another paper towel down. And then I put the, the turkey, because you don't want to put turkey on a countertop. You you need to get turkey juice so cleaned wait, up. It goes placemat, parchment paper, paper towel, paper plate. Paper towel on top of the paper plate. To put the turkey on only. If I'm, and then I make my cheese and turkey roll ups on a paper plate, roll them up, put them into a snack bag, and then I can use this paper. I, I use the paper towel and I use and reuse and reuse paper towels, not cleaning my hands, but like if I've used it to do something on, I bring it over, I shake it off, and I fold it up and I put it away. It, it hasn't gotten dirty. If it gets dirty, then you know, I use it as a napkin to wipe my hands or to clean dishes out. Oh, I do have another unwritten rule. This is a good one. 
This is so precise, but it's very sensible. Okay. Okay. When we put our dishes in the sink, now, granted, we have a dishwasher, but, you know, we have a sponge there to clean other dishes with. However, when we put our dishes in the sink, I have asked that the dishes get wiped off into the garbage can with any, you know, food or juice, like a, yeah. a dressing, get it, yeah, you know, course. cleaned up, yeah. put it in the sink, uh-huh. and then... um Put a little bit of water in there and a little bit of soap and then use your hand or a paper towel and clean it off. Then if you're going to wash it by hand, then you can use the sponge. You don't want to use a sponge on food where bacteria is going to develop. You want to use a sponge to clean something that's pretty much already clean. (laughs) And then I'll put it in the dishwasher. Or, no, by that time, I just wash it off. But, like, let's say a coffee cup. So, there's nothing in there, but I'll just rinse it out. I'll put a little bit of soap in there and some water, and then I'll take the paper towel, and I'll clean it out that way. Because if I put a sponge in there, I'm still getting, you know, coffee stuff on it. I want that sponge to stay bacteria-free, which it's not going to do, but it's, you know, it's a lot less bacteria than if you put it directly on food. Then it's got that in there. And you yeah, need- but in all of this, you're willing to get your hands. And in the case of the paper towel, your mouth dirty. You're keeping the paper towel clean. You're keeping the counter clean. You're keeping the sponge clean. But the thing that's getting dirty is your body. Where? How's my body getting dirty? Why, you're, why, you're saying, if it's dirty, I'll use it to wipe my hands. Yeah, wipe my clean my hands off. Use it as a napkin. Using a dirty thing. Oh, it's not dirty, though. But you said if it's dirty. Oh, what I mean is if it has crumbs on it or if a piece of turkey fell on it. It's still dirty. Well, You're wiping your hands with something that had well, turkey on it? Well, I mean, it, it hasn't gotten all over. I just fold it over and use it. I, I wouldn't put my hands directly on turkey juice. <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> Uh, well, we're done. Is there any, any anything else we haven't we haven't hit? How did how did this meet your expectations? Um, it was much easier than what I anticipated. Than the homework you did. Well, no, I mean, I just wanted to be ready for any questions which I could use. Okay. Um, can I say a prayer for the audience? Sure. Okay, Father. I wanted to do this because any chance I get to share about you or your love or let people know how much you love them and how giving their life to you will help them in their lives because this life can be difficult and you knew that better than anybody. That's why you had Jesus go to the cross. I just pray, God, that somehow you work this out so that it helps even one person out there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. That's the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mom, for being on the show. All the information about me, about Al, who did the music under the Mom's Darkness piece, my newsletter, Definitive Answers, all that's in the show notes. 
Uh, my, my mom's not on social media, so you're not going to get any of that. Even if she were, I would not be sending you to her social media profiles. Join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mar. Tell a friend. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. Have faith. You are human. You are human.